Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to episode 128 of the Conquering Columbus podcast. We've got another great guest lined up for you today, Mr. John Che, and he's the general manager over at Willowworks, which is a local investment fund with a focus on startups in the healthcare and IT space. And I definitely think you guys are going to enjoy this episode. John's got a lot of great perspective. He started his career working a couple of jobs, trying to make ends meet. And today he's helping manage a fund like Willowworks. So hope you guys enjoy this episode. And as always, we hope you learn a lot. Before we get to that, I want to take a quick moment, as usual, to thank all the incredible sponsors and supporters here at Conquering Columbus. So I'm going to kick it over to Josh to tell you a little more about our first sponsor, FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest-growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent, through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state, and you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And our next sponsor is Share. For the rides that you take the most, ride with Share. Share is a new transportation company now driving Columbus. Schedule your ride and Share picks you up at your door with professional drivers and a growing fleet of connected vehicles. Share is now hiring with entry-level management positions available. You can learn more about careers with Share at drivewithshare.com. Finally, if you've ever wondered what it takes to start your own podcast, we're here to help. We're putting together a podcast startup package with our recommendations and some of the key lessons we learned over the past two years of podcasting. You can sign up by heading over to our website, conqueringcolumbus.com. And while you're there, don't forget to give us a like on Facebook and be sure to subscribe and share Conquering Columbus wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Conquerors, let's get the show on the road. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. Uh, We're really excited. Today on the show, we've got John Che, and John is the general manager at Willowworks, a family investment fund that focuses on startups, and their team provides investment, consulting, and links startups to their advisor network, which includes previous Conquering Columbus guest, Pamela Springer, as well as several other leaders in the Columbus area. And before Willowworks, John spent time in a variety of operations-related roles. We're really excited to have him here with us today. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, John. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's always fun to end the day with a podcast, but uh, what's your day been like so far? How are you doing? 
Well, it's been a pretty good day. Uh, we spent some time with uh, startups and kind of working through some diligence, and you know that's really a lot of what we're focusing our time and energy on is generating deal flow, getting out there, meeting founders and uh, and other investors. When a fund first starts, is the trouble gaining traffic and awareness on that you are out there wanting to allocate capital, or is the trouble just again filtering through all the deals that are coming your way, like? I'm assuming there's some brand awareness phases in there. Yeah, yeah. We, we've we gone through several versions of how we talk about ourselves. And and frankly, there's a lot of trepidation and kind of getting into the market as a new investor. What I've been pleasantly surprised by is a humble approach has worked the best. And so the way I articulate it is we've been at this for 20 months We've written four checks, and we're figuring it out as we go. You know, in terms of credibility, it's really about how you work with the founders. It's really about um, do you do what you say, so integrity. But yeah, in terms of getting the word out there, um, we spent a lot of deliberate time building the strategy around message, how we want to present ourselves to the market initially. Um, and we were really specific to target uh, the right events where we're me- meeting the right people and getting access to folks that can help us network in the right way. We'll jump more into all the things you got going on today and talk more about that process in more detail. But maybe we start back at the beginning, like talk about just kind of where you grew up and your path up through education and all that good stuff. So Yeah, yeah. So grew up in a military family, so we jumped around a lot. You know, started out in Honolulu, some San Diego in there, Great Lakes, so Chicago, and then we kind of settled in the uh, Dayton area, right, Pat? You know, I kind of made some life choices and uh, at 18 uh, decided to go out on my own. And um, I was in Beaver Creek at the time, and so I said, hey, let's go to the big city and figure that out. Senior year of high school, I was working two part-time jobs and going to night school. Uh, to finish high school and you know I'm, I'm kind of your classic example of work really hard and kind of stay at it and uh, good things happen so you know in terms of kind of formal education beyond that it's three quarters at Columbus State as I needed it and uh, kind of focused on accounting of all things and um, just really had a few lucky breaks in terms of career along the way and um, uh, success after success um, got me here. And talk about you know growing up in that military family, moving around a lot. Um, throughout that process, are there things that stick out to you that are unique that you think kind of were early signs of who you became today and your entrepreneurial spirit and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I mean, when you're a kid and you're in a different place, like, you know, call it every 6, 12, 18 months, it sucks, right? Meeting people new classmates, new location, um, kind of trying to figure out where you fit in. You know, at that time, I, I just hated it, right? Um, what I've come to appreciate later on is that you develop a certain amount of skill in terms of kind of finding a place where you can fit. Being uncomfortable um, starts to become more of the norm. And it's not that you actively realize that as a kid, but you know, once you become an adult, it's like, oh, these are skills and uh, in a positive sense. It's funny, you know. It's, I always enjoy talking to another military brat. My dad 
Marine for 21 years. San Diego, uh, D.C., San Diego, Yuma, all over the place. And so I can really resonate with that and kind of like a similar experience growing up in terms of I was super frustrated all the time whenever we had to move. But today, looking back on it, I agree with you. Those skill sets really come into play. What about on the military side of things? I mean, having a military dad myself, you know, I think that instilled a lot of key beliefs and values in me in terms of discipline and the, and, and the, the different, you know, hard work gets you where you need to go. Um, do you have that same experience? Yeah, I would say that, you know, I probably align more to Artie's camp of, you know, upbringing and raising and um, parents do their best, but, you know, in, at the end we're all individuals and we, we kind of do what we're going to do. Um, I would like to think that, um, you know, things like grit and work ethic, um, you can observe those things, but it's really about your own development that um, makes it something that's uh, an attribute of yours or a positive of yours. Um, you know, it's like we can try our best to emulate those types of things, but uh, until it becomes your personal practice, I don't think it's real. And so, you know, you don't take the traditional college route. You kind of go off, you start to do your own thing. You're finding yourself during the ages of wherever it's from 18 to 22, 23. Um, are your parents putting any pressure on you at that point to kind of, you know, take the traditional path? And are you just saying, you know, I'm branching out and I know what I'm doing and I'm going to roll with it? Yeah, no, I mean, it was, it was me on my own. You know, I moved up here, um, found a basement apartment and kind of did that. You know, at that time in my life, I would say the, the best uh, coaching and mentoring I got was from my martial arts instructor, uh, John Rausch. I met him as soon as I moved up here and started training again. Stayed at that high level of competition for a good five years. And really, like, that's where I found the ritual of discipline was in training, which I'm sure the two of you can relate to. It was about... Monday through Saturday, there was a routine, right? Um, and and that, that kind of goes a long way in terms of helping me have a structured routine, even though I was on my own. Which martial art were you involved in? Taekwondo. Okay. No. Do you still stay with it today? No, man, I'm too old. Too old, uh, and it's just not a priority. My kids hate it, so, you know, it's like I don't have a, a good way to focus time and energy on it right now. So... As when did things start to uh, kind of pivot for you? Like, I mean, obviously you come down here, you said you moved into a basement apartment. Where do you start finding your direction then? Is there any pressure in your head? Like you're focused on martial arts, obviously that probably occupied a lot of your passion. Um, I know that when I personally lost, you know, a, a focus of mine being in wrestling, like I had to find something else and something new. Did you feel that more of a pressure once you were done with martial arts? Or? Yeah, man, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily say the the pressure um, came and went. I would say that um, I've I've always felt the pressure, if that makes sense. Um, you know, I started working when I was 12 uh, with a paper route. My first W-2 job was at Bob Evans when I was 14. You know, I've just always had the need to work. Right, I've always had to produce, and so. Along the way, that wasn't so much a, um, a driving factor, um, like replacing something other than I always had the feeling that I didn't have a safety net, so I got to keep doing. 
Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. I think one phrase that our coach used to use that I always kind of resonated with me was a sense of urgency, right? You have that sense of urgency that's always telling you, I keep moving forward. I got to keep moving forward no matter what I'm doing in life. Uh, but so you get done with, you know, your, your five years, Taekwondo, that sort of thing. When, what's your first, like, operations role? Kind of what are some of the roles leading up along the way to Willowworks? Yeah, so, man, the, the first big break for me was uh, Marsh Williams – and a few of his partners had started up New Logic Media back in, man, this would be like the late 90s. And at that time, I was a Taekwondo instructor, and his son was studying with us. And, you know, and we would talk after class, and I would kind of talk to him about, you know, this, you know, Gateway P3450 I bought, and I was so excited about it at the time. And, um, you know, we started talking about his business, and basically without discussion with his partners he said you know show up on Monday and we'll give you a job and really that was like the transition from you know being a night janitor and teaching martial arts and just kind of making ends meet to actually having a career and line of sight on oh well I could actually do something for a living so that was really like my break away from like having to hold multiple jobs to being able to focus on a career um, from there, it was, it was really kind of incremental improvements in roles, lots of startup activity, lots of kind of intensive operations stuff. Spent a little bit of time in systems administration, managing data room. And then really, the, I would say the next step change was Manta. Uh, Nick Fortini was just a, a great uh, leader to work with, um, him and Pam. At that time, we just had a great executive team. I was responsible for all of our external client delivery, which um, at that time, I just, you know, I kept taking the opportunities as they came, even though I didn't really know what I was doing. At least I didn't feel like I wasn't confident. Um, and, and really, you know, that was just um, the big difference was that the quality of coaching and mentoring I got from Nick really was that moment of awareness where I said, oh, I do have skills and I am this good, you know, and it, and it was not for him repeating to me, hey, you are this good and let me kind of run down all of the good stuff. It was just like, in my mind, it was always, well, I just got to keep active and keep busy because I just don't know when the next fire is going to come. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Do you think that perspective, I mean, that's a unique perspective to, to have. Do you think that coming from kind of a different background than the traditional route helped with that or stemmed in, and kind of improved your your perspective and the way that you thought about these things? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure everybody listening has been in a scenario where they're expected to do more with less or there's resource constraints or there's not enough hours in the day where, where I think I had a nice combination of um, skill and gift was you know, I'm smart enough and I had enough experience, but the, the magic ingredient at that time was, was really the grit, the grit to push through when we had um, crazy client deliverables and no answer, not enough developer cycles or not enough product leadership or not enough business um, analyst, right? Like it was just basically taking um, a cross-section of five roles and just kind of figuring out what I could to deliver something quality to the client. 
So you said, was it New Logic Media? Was that the first company? Yeah. So New Logic yeah. Media, then we you stay there till you go to Manto? No, there were a few um, a few roles here and there. There was a, gosh, call it a seven year gap in between there. So just other uh, startup companies. Yeah, startups uh, uh, helped stand up a law firm. Uh, worked with a, a bioinformatics company. So it was just a lot. Um, and actually, that's where one of our strategic advisors at Willow Works, Jeffrey Spitzner, that's where I met him, was in one of those uh, companies uh, between uh, New Logic and Manta. So when you joined Manta, how many people are in the company at that point? Oh, man, I was probably, call it 56-ish. Okay. And you uh, stay there for how long? Three years. Yeah, so then it was, um, you know, I went on, out on my own, and really it was about, um, oh, no. So, so there was a brief, um, a brief stop in manufacturing, and by brief it was almost three years, but in dog years it feel, felt like seven. So, you know, coming from technology where it's margin rich and you kind of, can control certain variables in manufacturing supply chain, you know, margins are razor thin and you miss a little thing and this domino effect um, kills everything. And so it was an opportunity to have margin performance responsibility, which I thought I needed for my resume. And it was just a really hard gig. Um, you know, it was on the road a lot, um, Mexico, Canada, the U.S., and, uh, you know, the experience was good because just, you know, in, in a turnaround opportunity, you're, you're really exposed to a lot and you can pick up um, a lot of slack. Uh, at the same time, you're burning the candle at both ends and, you know, it's 12 and 16 hour days. And then after the manufacturing stint gets done, then you said you branched out on your own at that point? Yep, yep, and then it was, you know, um, CIO type consulting, um, more uh, focused on leadership role, you know, and that was really kind of the time where I was able to make that transition from, um, you know, a, a key contributor uh, role base to more of a leadership function. So if you're comfortable with that, I'd like to talk more about that transition as well, because a lot of people will go their entire career and never make that last jump. You know, they'll, they'll get advancements, they'll get uh, really sophisticated in a particular field or even a job for a certain period of their life, maybe, you know, 25, 30% of their life. How did you then pivot yourself as a leader and establish skills and then actually provide value in those areas? And then even the consultant approach, I mean, that's a place where I'm assuming people are reaching out to you for your advice. Um, you have to have a really trusted reputation at that point. Yeah, yeah, and that was where, you know, one of the things I struggled with was um, in the consulting world people want you and and you don't scale and so it's like I was thinking how do I build a business around this and it was um, I, f I found that kind of three clients was the max I could handle right um, trying to introduce someone else new it just never worked because you know it always came back to you know well I'm, I'm paying for you you know in terms of the leadership development it was really uh, Pete Kunk I started working with him uh, him as my executive coach and really that was the beginning of that hard work of the um, the development of the you know skills and attributes of leadership being able to even articulate 
what are your values as a leader? It was just so foreign to me at that time. To me, it was more about this uh, high-level goal that I didn't have a, a well-formed idea of how do I achieve that, right? And so uh, Pete's part of Built to Lead, which is a, a local coaching firm, and um, you know he took me through their track of development. And, and even today, I still meet with, with Pete and work with him. Um, so, you know, it, it really was about deliberate practice and work. So how long does that process last for you? Like, are you just continuing to consult and think for multiple years? Or what does that look like? Yeah, so the consulting front, um, what brought me into the Willow Works role was um, I started with Willow Wood, which is the, um, the source of the family fund as a consultant. So CIO for hire type work. And Pete, my coach, was actually the mutual introduction to the uh, current owner of Willow Wood. We, we worked together as a consultant for about two years and then two years ago made the transition into general manager of Willow Works. And then as you make that transition, do you guys identify some certain things that you say, like obviously you can't scale yourselves, maybe that's part of the reason. Um, are there other reasons that you sit down and you have this meeting, you say we're gonna transition this into Willow Works and this is what Willow Works is gonna look like? Yeah, um, you know, so Willow Wood, their mission is to level the playing field for amputees. So it's a mission-driven organization, 110 years old, uh, been in Mount Sterling that whole time, uh, fourth generation family ownership, um, very much rooted in the sense of family when we think about that business. There's, there's the ability now to invest and to diversify top line revenue to ensure that that mission continues. Um, you know, if there's a disruption in the industry, it's, that's not the best time to invest, right? It's best to invest when you can. And so Ryan and I, um, the owner of Willowwood, we, we sat down and we talked about, you know, what, what would an innovation practice look like, right? Like, how would we go about doing this? And we took a good year to, you know, kind of think about how we would plan that out took another six months to get uh, team buy-in. And, um, and then from there, uh, we, we executed. The consulting work was actually going pretty well. And the best articulation I have is that it was the perfect role. Um, it's exactly what I want to be doing. You know, I know later on we'll probably talk about career path journey and how do you get to the perfect role. Um, I am one of the few that lives in a luxury where this is exactly the role I would like to be doing. Definitely. So in terms of that role, what does your day-to-day look like currently? And how has that changed since you first hopped on as a consultant to today? Yeah, man. Um, so when we first started, it was a lot about IT consolidation. It was about um, uh, product development. It's stuff you would expect. Um, so it was very much strategic planning, execution, and then accountability for that. I'm, I'm accountable to the um, strategic plan for Willow Works. The difference is that the activity for, for um, the beginning of this fund is that it's all development work. It's all business development. If you look at the process by which you, you go through to find and select things to invest in, it's a business development cycle. So most of my days are um, networking. Um, there's a fair amount of travel to do that, uh, going to other regions. And, and really that's kind of the core difference is that 
Um, it is much more business development than it is about uh, accountability for deliverables of a project, if you will. What does WillWorks look like today in terms of stance and investments that you guys are looking at or considering to the extent that you can talk about? Um, and what do you project over the next few months or several years looking ahead? We have two med medical technology companies. We have one cognitive diagnostic company and then we have one uh, cannabis trading platform. So it, it's fairly, fairly diverse. Um, when you look at the deal flow mix, uh, given that I was a CIO, I'm really comfortable with technology, so I can dig into those deals. Uh, given the expertise at Willowwood, we can look at uh, med tech deals with a, a fair amount of expertise back there, and we can tap that as needed. Um, the way I like to describe it is that we look at everything but pharma and real estate. Okay, and when you're looking into these different companies and different industries that you're considering investing in, you mentioned there's a lot of business development, but maybe once after you've kind of engaged in an initial relationship, what, do you, what are some of the things you're looking for when considering an investment? Yeah, I mean, uh, I boil it down to three things. Um, how big's the idea? how gritty is the founder, and how clearly do they articulate the business model. That's kind of the starting point. And then every business, depending on what phase they're in, there's uh, a different level of expectation for how much detail do you have. So if you're a napkin sketch and we're just starting, I'm not gonna expect you to have a sales strategy, right? But then if you're a series A raise and you're, you're saying you have market fit, and you've got all this validation and you're ready to scale, then we're going to be uh, more expectant to see uh, business hygiene type documentation. Uh, so it really depends um, uh, in the diligence process what phase you're in. Uh, that drives a lot of what we expect to see. And out of your three tiers, obviously in theory, um, you would apply those and say, you know, these are great fundamentals. When you sit down with someone, how do you identify, for example, something like grit within a founder who can obviously tell you or sell you whatever story that that individual might want to, and then uh, you might dive into a deal and, and maybe realize something different. So how do you guys pull out those core fundamentals when you're sitting down? You gather it over time, right? So first impressions are first impressions. Um, I'm sure, you know, we're all working on our first impressions right now. Through the, through the discovery and then the diligence process, you get exposed uh, to the founding team on multiple occasions. You, you get to see um, in the very early stages of the company, you know, what did you get done? There are always going to be pitfalls and problems in the startup journey, um, and, and being able to chronicle that and then take inventory of how did you respond and specifically what was the output that's, that's a really good indicator. You know, the, the way that we interact and, and the way you produce and stay attentive, you know, I think that, that talks to focus. Um, and so then you start building these kind of like maps of reference for, for each founding team to say, okay, well, here's the strengths and weaknesses. And um, at the end of the diligence process, you can sit down and make a decision. What does the ongoing relationship look like once you've made the investment? Are you guys, um, you know, I know a lot of VCs, you know, might sit on the board or not necessarily, you guys might not use the term VC, but even investment funds will sit on the board or mm -hmm. um, they'll take more of an active role, some will take more of a passive role. Where do you guys see you fit in that? Yeah, so um, 
we'll be as active as as long as we're adding value. So in one case, we sit on the board of directors. In one case, we wrote a check and um, we get monthly updates. Um, and, and again, you know, we've only got four deals, um, so we're kind of figuring this out as we go. But, you know, I like to say that, you know, if we add value, we're willing to be active. You know, it's our full-time gig, uh, the three of us. So it's myself and a, an analyst and a program manager, and, um, you know, this is what we do every day. And how active are your, so in terms of your advisor network that we talked about earlier, Pam's on, on the, in the network and a couple other people, um, with that team, how active are they with everything? Is it kind of a, in a situation where, hey, Pam might have something good to say on this, we should bring her in, or are you actively reaching out to them for uh, different uh, situations? Yeah, so our approach to that, I wanted to be really practical. Since you all have met Pam, you have a good sense for how busy she might be, right? Um, how mu how much she's relied on in the community. And so one of the things that we thought about was um, we have to be really careful about time commitments, right? And the way we structure our strategic advisor network is that we schedule way in advance your time and we time box it. So, you know, for this period of time, this is what we need. And then once you leave, that we will not pepper you with follow-on questions. And I think it's really practical and important to, one, respect people's time, but two, you really have to understand what am I committing to from a time perspective. And so, like with Pam, you know, I will spend time with her um, just to talk about the evolution of the fund. Um, you know, that she has a lot of experience and miles um, when it comes to uh, seeing more dimensions of this space than me. And so I really, really appreciate that. Um, and in other cases, we may bring someone in to look at the revenue model or look at the valuation and let's talk about kind of multiple scenarios and if that makes sense. So it's really about uh, rounding out our skill sets to rely on other people's expertise to put us into a position to make a better decision. You mentioned you're investing in four companies at this point. Do you have a goal number in mind or is it more about the amount of capital you want to deploy um, and in terms of your resources and bandwidth, I mean, how many, how many companies do you think you can handle? And then I'll add one final question, this 10 question question. Well, how many people do you see the team growing to in the future? Do you have a vision for that? Yeah, um, so in terms of the investments, um, you know, it, it is a, it's an activity-based and a numbers-based thing. Eight of 10 are gonna fail. So, you know, it's like in, in my novice approach, I think about kind of chunks of 10, you know, so if we can do a few more this year, I'll just consider 2018 a good year. Um, we've gotten a lot of good traction in 2019. If we could make 10 investments, um, you know, we're doing a good job. If we could do more, we're a little bit ahead of schedule. In terms of the way the, the, the team scales, um, I want to be really deliberate to stay tight and focused. My suspicion is if we were to take on a capital partner, we would have to expand the team a bit. I don't know that I see us ever getting to the point where we need to add, say, a handful of people. At the same time, I don't have a crystal ball, so that can all change. 
at that point, it's probably a good place to pivot towards some of our more miscellaneous questions and the last questions of the show. And, and you mentioned one earlier that I definitely want to ask you. It's not one we always get to, but talks about finding you know the right career path because a lot of our listeners out there, entrepreneurs, young professionals, people still finding their way, just kind of like most of us are. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it kind of rings back to what I already said last week about there's nowhere to go and nothing to see. It's all about where you're going, where you're heading. But how do you find the right career path? I mean, you yourself mentioned you ended up right where you want to be. So mm -hmm. what are some things that people can do actively to kind of find those things that they really feel are what they want to do? Yeah. I mean, I'd be lying if I had like some super clear answer to that. I mean, I, I didn't realize that I was going to have the dream role until it happened. I mean, in, in some respects, I really believe it's just about develop some expertise so that you have a foundation of confidence that puts you into a position to clearly understand what your um, strategic contribution to a company is, which then puts you into a position to think about what's next. And, and, and it's really more about um, an ascension focus versus kind of a, a lateral hop or, you know, in, in some cases, the how do I get 5K more, 10K more, you know? And so, so my, my approach was, you know, get those 10,000 hours of project management, become really surgical in my execution, which, which then opened up a path for product management. I, I mean, I just had no idea that that's how it would go. That's kind of how it happened. And then that kind of becomes CIO. You know, that's me. And, and, and I think confidence is a really, um, it's, it's a weird thing in that some folks will generate a business persona of guff. And, um, you know, some folks become blowhards and some folks become Midwest modest. Like there's all, you know, everything in between. But like acquiring confidence is, um, that's hard, man. Definitely. That makes a lot of sense. And so one of our last questions of the show, we talked a little bit about living uncomfortably earlier, um, but centers around the team here on Conquering Columbus, live uncomfortably. And again, without telling you too much about what Josh and I think about it, what do you think of when you hear the phrase and how does it apply to your life and career? Yeah, I, I didn't realize until a few years back how uncomfortable life was just because it was my normal mode you know and it's like the more you read and the more you're exposed to um, how you put yourself into a position for growth and and step change output um, I, I started making those choices to take on roles where I thought it was maybe a little bit too much or um, I was reaching a bit, you know, to go from, say, product manager to CIO. I think that's kind of the interesting twist there is that um, for me, it was almost like an organic journey, like it just kind of meandered there. But then the potency of understanding it at one point is like, oh, well, I can actually amplify this and do more now. It's like I'll make a choice to be really uncomfortable and go do that next thing. Absolutely. Well, I think that's a great place to wrap up the show, John. Thanks a lot for joining us today. We really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and Conquerors, thanks for tuning in. That was John Shea, and he is the general manager over at Willowworks. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode and learned a lot. We'll talk to you next week.
Hey, Conquerors, that's it for the episode today. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode and learned a lot. If you did, make sure to leave a like. Share us on Facebook with your friends. We really appreciate all your support. And every time you share our podcast or leave a review on iTunes, it really does help us out. Before we let you go, we want to take one last moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here. And that's going to start with FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest-growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored-fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state. And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And our next sponsor is Share. For the rides that you take the most, ride with Share. Share is a new transportation company now driving Columbus. Schedule your ride and Share picks you up at your door with professional drivers and a growing fleet of connected vehicles. Share is now hiring with entry-level management positions available. You can learn more about careers with Share at drivewithshare.com. Finally, if you've ever wondered what it takes to start your own podcast, we're here to help. We're putting together a podcast startup package with our recommendations and some of the key lessons we learned over the past two years of podcasting. You can sign up by heading over to our website, conqueringcolumbus.com. And while you're there, don't forget to give us a like on Facebook, and be sure to subscribe and share Conquering Columbus wherever you get your podcasts. You could drop me anywhere on the planet, in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.